0: Log Talk Radio.
1: is exactly correct. We had a great Wednesday night show for you on the Fight Network. We've got some tremendous guests. So many things going on in the world of sports in the National Hockey League and the NBA, baseball as well, and we'll get to all of it. And first of all, let me go back to our executive producer Frank Carroll, and let us get the commercials out of the way. Frank? All
2: right, Don. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, is there anything is up faster than your blood pressure or your weight if you're over 50? It's your, your utility bills. There's one way to beat that. Biosolar is a company out of St. Petersburg, but they're licensed in every state in the union. They're able to move anywhere, anytime, get the permits, hold the permits themselves. You don't have to do a thing. Um, what it is is they make a contract with you, and that contract is good for 25 years. In other words, if you're paying $90 a year this year, You'll be paying ninety dollars a year in twenty-five years. Uh, that's how they work. Everything is written out for you in the contract. Uh, they have the new equipment that's ready to roll. They're ready to have guys ready on the phones as well as the, the technicians ready to roll. Uh, they're at um, in St. Petersburg, uh, but it's it is a 6976 number. But again, they are licensed in all the states in the United States and are able to move uh, with, um, within an, in a short time. If you call in the first ten callers uh, within the next week, we'll get a two hundred fifty dollars uh, guaranteed cash uh, when you sign the uh, bonus when you sign the contract. So again, that's uh, Phil at, uh, and Patrick at six69 seven, six, Thank
1: you Dunn. All right. Roy Cummings is standing by as always in Tampa, Florida. Always our first guest, the first half hour, Roger Henler is in Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to have not only Roger in Atlanta, but one of his guests as well. And of course our normal uh, compliment on people, uh, Fran Dunphy, the winningest coach in basketball history in Philadelphia with three different schools. We'll talk to Fran later on in the program. Mike Simzak will be with us to talk about what's happening in Baltimore and what's happening in the world of soccer. And of course, uh, as always, Doug Hamilton, our PGA professional, looking forward to the golf tournaments this week and what's happened on the golf front, as well as what's happening with the Ravens in Baltimore. So there we go. That's the outline of what's going to happen tonight. Uh, before we go to uh, to Roy with our first rundown. Let me get down to Atlanta to Roger because he uh, had a very, very important assignment at the Philadelphia Sports Writers Dinner, sold-out dinner on Monday night. And I want to know you wanted to chat
3: about that, Roger.
4: Well, I'll tell you what, under the circumstances, Don, when we're used to having the dinner and at the end of January, uh, it was a, a good crowd, and what a dais! I mean, it was just a an all-star uh, the uh, most courageous ath- uh, athlete that I presented uh, is Molly uh, Gorsica from Rowan University uh, who is a survivor of leukemia missed a season in field hockey uh, but contributed to Rowan getting to the Division III Final Four and just had all kinds of awards. Uh, Dick Vermeil was there. I mean, it's, uh, Dick Vermeil hasn't changed one iota from when he was coaching the eagles 50 years ago
5: uh,
4: or 40 years ago i should say and uh, he was just outstanding phil martelli who we had as a guest last week uh, associate head coach of basketball at michigan formerly at saint joseph's was absolutely hilarious said he has not watched A Detroit TV station, Sports, has not read a Detroit newspaper since he got there. He gets the Daily News and the Inquirer. It's always two weeks behind. He brought some home with him, and he says, oh, I I just read that uh, Ben Simmons was traded. Well, what was that, a month ago or more? And he also – he said, my gosh – Jay Wright retires, and Fran Dunphy's back coaching. What more can you say? So that was just some of the highlights. It was
1: fantastic. Well, we'll talk to Fran in just a couple of moments. First of all, let's go at the top of the show as always the Roy coming. We're making him do double duty tonight because, uh, well, we're going to talk about a number of different things, whether it's the Lightning, whether it's the Bucks, whether it's the Rays. But right now the Lightning are playing their first game in the Stanley Cup charge to get it back again. And Roy, what terrific, terrific games we saw last night with Washington winning, and that triple overtime with the Rangers. I don't know. Tonight's going to be the lightning. Some of your thoughts?
3: Well, you know, every time the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs begin, it always uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, register with every sports fan, but it should, because it always provides every sports fan with the best uh, entertainment uh, of the evening. Um, one way or another, depending on you know which game you might be watching, uh, you're going to get entertained with the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. You always do. It's always the best uh, game on on that night, whether it's basketball. And look, there's there's some darn good basketball games going on too. Uh, Memphis and uh, Golden State last night was a, an exceptional game, but uh, uh, you know 76ers are playing a, tonight. Exactly, uh, but it's hard to beat a three overtime game between the Rangers and Penguins. Uh, it's hard to beat that, uh, hard to see. Hard to beat the, the Capitals uh, upsetting uh, Florida at home in their first-round game. And tonight you got Tampa Bay and Toronto in game two of their series. Uh, Tampa Bay trying to look again like a Stanley Cup champion as opposed to uh, a team that doesn't belong in the playoffs, which is kind of how they looked the other night. So we'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, none of us are, are ever surprised at the uh, entertainment value of the Stanley Cup playoffs. They're always uh, – they're always a 10 out of 10, no matter
1: what. Well, Roy, as you said, uh, the Lightning's sort of struggling down the stretch the last three or four weeks of the season, primarily from a defensive standpoint, which was always their strong suit. And uh, they were always able to keep people away from the net. Also, in the game last night with Pittsburgh, a rule that I was totally unfamiliar with. And i got to give Sullivan all the credit in the world because he's now made eight challenges on goals, and he's eight for eight. And he won last night. The Rangers were up three. to, what looked like a four-to-three score. Instead, it goes back to three-to-three. To three. Instead, it goes three overtimes. And uh, they showed the replay a bunch of times. I don't know if you saw it or not, Roy, but uh, I did not realize he hardly had his foot inside the circle, but it definitely was there.
3: Yeah, you know, NHL teams, uh, with, with the replay rules as they are now, they have done an exceptional job. Uh, virtually every one of them, of finding people who can quickly, and I mean quickly, because you've got to be able to do it, you know, in a span of like 30 seconds there. You have got to challenge that play, and they've got people who are breaking down that video uh, on every entry uh, for every team just in case it turns into a goal and it's it's an offsides play. So um, NHL teams, I think, more than anybody else, professional sports, have taken really great advantage of the the technology that allows them to to look at these replays, uh, you know, be, and and get goals wiped off or, or, or goals put back on. So, um, to me, it's uh, it's it, it's an interesting uh, dynamic, no question about it. And obviously, it came up very big last night for uh, for the Penguins, as you said, took a goal off the board, made it took it back to three three, forced it to three overtimes, and. Pittsburgh wins uh, in an upset uh, uh, on the road in uh, Game One. So, look, I think that a lot of people think the Rangers is the best Rangers team we've seen in a while. Um, I think some people think they could they could go very far, a couple of rounds at least. Uh, I agree with that. I think they're a better team than the Penguins. But right now, Penguins got the momentum, and uh, a move like that is uh, what what helps you, helps you get it sometimes.
1: And the same thing in Washington. I mean. Uh... A terrific, terrific game. I had good fortune to have the two TVs on, so I could watch both games simultaneously and, and uh, see how they were doing. But, uh, Roger, let's get to you because I don't know how much hockey you saw last night, but a lot of other things happened in the world of sports. Go to it. Well, you know,
4: staying with hockey, a couple of things. I'll tell you, Roy, I would never write off the Pittsburgh Penguins when you have Sidney Crosby on the team. I just think uh, it would not surprise me. If they really go deep, and uh, but you know that's just my opinion. But I'll tell you what was funny: we were talking about the lightning. I was with uh, or Zach Hill, the theater director for the uh, Flyers, and also on the dais the other night was uh, Jimmy Joe Watson and Jimmy Watson. And I'll tell you, when you get Joe Watson, Roy, you would have loved it because he has some hockey stories that are just unbelievable. I mean, going. You know, when you go back and and uh, Don and, and Frank, as you remember, the Russian game. He was talking about the Russian game, and he imitated Gene Hart going to Russia and coming back to learn Russia, or went there to learn Russia and came back and was talking Russian. we can all remember that. So, you know, it's it's not it's a different world in hockey today, but. Uh, the, the discussion was about the Lightning and uh, how strong they have been in recent years and and what it takes uh, to uh, stay at that level uh, that they have when you think about how the Flyers in recent years have really uh, gone down and really have a lot of work in front of them.
1: Well, I think yeah, it's all right. administration. I, I really believe, and Roy, I'll let you comment right away, I, I just think the administration, and I talk about it repeatedly, uh, whether it's uh, the Rays here in, in Sarasota or whether it's Tampa Bay uh, and and the Lightning, uh, they both have great front-line administration. And that's really, I think, the difference in all sports. Roger? Or, uh, oh, there or, uh, it is. I agree with
3: that. Yep. Oh, no, you're right. Uh, and, and, look, but what's interesting about the Lightning is um, the primary architect of the team that they have now was Steve Eiserman who left the team 3 years ago just as they were becoming uh, the Stanley Cup champions that they are and uh, they they handed over the uh, general manager duties to Brian Breezlaw who was who is was, was Steve Eiserman's right-hand man back in the day and uh, now Steve Eiserman's trying to build the same kind of team in uh, in Detroit and uh, he's not there yet but he's uh, he's got a team that's very interesting and yeah so what the Lightning are trying to do with a 3 um you know obviously not easy and it's been a long time since we've had a team in the NHL that's uh, been, been as dominant uh, a playoff team as the Lightning have been the last couple of years. Now, right now, they have to, you know, as we talked about uh, over the course of the last month, the defense has gotten a little lax. Uh, offensively, they're they're not scoring. Um, they're struggling at times to get the puck out of their own end and, and through the neutral zone into the opponent's end. So, uh, we'll see how that continues to go. You know, they're they're facing a team that's very much like themselves. In Toronto, a speed team based on uh, finesse more than uh, grit, but the Lightning know how to be gritty and, and tough. And um, you know they, they might have taken that a little bit too far last uh, last game because some power plays uh, ended up hurting them. So we'll see where it goes here tonight. But uh, you know, you mentioned the uh, the Watson brothers, uh, Roger Terry Crisp was in town in Tampa here. Uh, former, obviously, a former grinder for the uh, for those uh, great Flyers teams back in the mid seventies. Um, right. Lightning's first head coach, and he's retiring uh, after a, a long stretch as the uh, play, uh, color analyst, uh, TV color analyst for the Nashville Predators. Uh, and so uh, they had a night for him here in Tampa at uh, the Lightning's uh, next to last game last week. And uh, I was honored to be a, an honored guest of uh, of the team for that uh, event uh, as uh, the first uh, beat writer. And tell you tell you what, guys, Terry Crispin and and Tommy knows this. Uh, it's, it's too bad Tommy's not here to share this with us, but uh, he's looking down, smiling and laughing right now because he knows the stories that Terry Crisp and I uh, have from <laughs> Terry Crisp's early days with the Lightning, and uh, he and I would—he uh, he was a—he tra- was just the absolute perfect coach for a team in a non-traditional market that needed to learn about hockey. And, um, and and build a team that was competitive and fun to watch. And uh, he did an exceptional job. I, I'm still not sure that Phil Esposito realizes how good of a choice he made in bringing in Terry Crisp as the team's first coach. And uh, Crispy and I became very close friends as a result of that, along with Bobby the Chief Taylor, the backup goalie, on some of those great Flyers teams as well. So uh, it was fun to have Terry Crisp back in town and uh, relive some old memories of the uh, The early uh, days of the Tampa Bay Lightning, that was a lot of fun.
1: Roger, you and I remember those great years very, very well because in 30 Christopher of course, a big part of the Flyers. And Joe Watson, uh, uh, unbelievable. uh, Not only watched him play, he and his brother uh, all those years with the Flyers, but also sat right next to him in the press box because he went to work for the club. Uh, when the season, when his playing days were over, he went to work for the Flyers, and I'm assuming he still does work for the Flyers. And uh, uh, his brother went out and started to build houses. He became a house builder. But I'll tell you, they were a great group of people. And, uh, Roger, you were right there. There had to be a lot of fun the other night.
4: Well, you know what, what it is, uh, and this is about Philadelphia in general. Uh, the uh, Everybody, the, a lot of Canadians that have stayed there, uh, Keith Jones, uh, for one, you know, is doing the national games now in the NHL played on the flyers some a couple of other teams and is on uh, with Angelo Cataldi on the uh, w i p morning show but it's amazing how athletes bob kelly uh, all these flyer players and also um, uh, Phillies players that have and eagles and and uh, uh, and and sixers that have stayed. In the area, after they uh, after they play, and I know one guy, Don, who you were very uh, uh, friendly with, and and uh, good uh, good uh, not only good friends, but you were there. Uh, was Doug Collins, and he was talking about this the other night. You know, he was honored, and uh, I mean, look at Dick Vermeil. Dick Vermeil's a West Coaster. That's where he grew up. And uh, you know he coached uh, the the Eagles and then the Rams and then Kansas City. But where did he settle? For you know, in retirement again, back in the Philadelphia area. And uh, I think it's just amazing how these stay in the in the Philadelphia area. But Roy, before you know, before it's too late, uh, I wanted to ask you uh, talk about the draft. Uh, We're going to talk to Fred Khalil about the Falcons draft because I got to tell you, I got questions. About the some their couple of their trades and everything of of uh, draft picks, but what was your opinion of the uh, Bucks draft and the draft overall?
3: Well, the draft overall was really kind of uh, boy, can can you even use the word uneventful? Um, I would. Uh, it just wasn't a uh, it was it didn't have the the pizzazz that uh, you know that most drafts have, and and arguably because of the quarterback situation. You go through an entire mm-hmm. round, and uh, you almost don't have a quarterback taken. And uh, uh, so, you know, you go into the second day, and it look, you, you're still trying to – you know, people are still trying to build something around, well, will the Bucks trade that 33rd pick to, for a team that wants a quarterback? And, no, that didn't happen either. So, overall, I thought the draft was a little bit uneventful um, in terms of a fan standpoint. I think teams are happy to get some of the players. There was a lot of value between uh, – you know, the picks between uh, 15 and and 50 or 60. And so there was a lot of value there that I think um, this draft will probably prove to be a lot better in terms of producing good talent in the first two, three rounds as time goes on. You'll probably see every team uh, get what what might end up being a bit of a surprise player out of the first three rounds. Someone who uh, they don't, you know, Granted, it's first you know first three rounds player, but someone who maybe they weren't expecting a, a great deal out of could not could end up becoming a superstar. There's a lot of value uh, in those uh, in those first uh, three rounds this year, so I think that was the biggest thing. But from the Bucks standpoint, uh, you know it was interesting that uh, uh, they did trade down, which I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I would ex- I expected them to do that. Um and, uh, and then take a defensive tackle, which uh, was an area of need. I, I thought they did a good job in terms of filling areas of need, uh, then picking up an offensive lineman, picked up a couple of tight ends. So they're preparing themselves for the days when Rob Gronkowski's not there, and they're preparing themselves for the probably the departure of En Sioux, and uh, They're preparing themselves for, you know having a little bit better depth now that Ellie Marpet has gone from guard. So um, I, I thought they did a good job considering where they were and what was available in terms of picking up what they needed to pick up. They even picked up a punter, which is going to allow them to um, save some money on the cap because they're going to end up releasing uh, Bradley Pinion or not re-signing Bradley Pinion. So uh, smart, smart uh, decisions by the Buccaneers. But keep in mind that a year ago, you know, we all felt pretty good about the Bucs draft as well. And only one player even, you know, made any kind of, and I don't even made an impact, uh, Joe Tryon Tra- Trainka, uh was the only one who uh, who really even played much, uh, and he didn't make much of an impact. It could be the same this year. It, it may be a couple of years before we uh, really know how good a draft this was for the Buccaneers or how bad it was because um, not a lot of guys are going to play right away out of this group, not for Tampa.
1: Roger, some of your thoughts then about Atlanta because you were a little bit hesitant about what you thought they did.
3: Well, that's
4: why I thought we would just wait until uh, Fred's with us, you know, and talk about. Okay. But I will tell you, we'll talk about the Eagles' draft. I thought it was outstanding, and uh, you know, I am a big pro- uh, 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 proponent and fan of uh, Jordan uh, Davis, uh, the first round pick out of Georgia. And then they got another. Uh, they got a linebacker from Georgia. Uh, the uh, what was I thought was interesting. The there were 15 Georgia players taken, and that's an all-time record uh, in in the uh, seven-round uh, draft. I mean, when they used to have nine rounds, there were, you know, a couple of more one time. But, uh, you know, what do you think about that, Roy? Fifteen G- Georgia players taken in the seven rounds.
3: Yeah, not surprised. Um, surprised at the record. You would have thought that at some point uh... – you know, back in the day, maybe Miami would have had uh, had more or at least as much or certainly Alabama in the last couple of years. But, um, obviously, they're doing a great job producing uh, NFL-caliber talent at that school right now. But, you know, on to the Eagles. You're right. I, I love the pick with Jordan Davis. Okay. But let's face it. I, I think they got the best player in the draft in the trade that brought them A.J. Brown. So, I mean, right there, uh, you bring in a receiver – Uh, for for a number one pick. So, uh, to me, that was exceptional. I I thought they had a tremendous draft. Um, I think uh, this draft for uh, the Eagles, to me, you look at it on paper and you say, okay, this is an opportunity for them to get back to the top in that division. It's a weak division. Um, I'm not not sure what's going to happen in Dallas, but uh, I think this draft puts Philadelphia well ahead of uh, Washington and well ahead of uh, the Giants.
1: Well, yeah, so I, think I think it's going to take a little thousand. time on the Giants. I, I think both of them, the Giants are going to, you, you know, they they selected so many young players. Can they step in and really begin players of value in the first year? That's very, very difficult. So I agree with you there. Uh, I agree with the, with Roger as well. I think the Eagles made uh, some marvelous moves, uh, not only the trading situation, but also the, the players they were to pick up of the draft. So, Roger, go to it.
4: Well, I was just going to say uh, before we uh, uh, get, uh, you know, uh, Fred have Fred with us that uh, I think what this does is this is a do or die year uh, for uh, Hertz, and uh, because they're given, they've given him the talent now uh, to really show something, and uh, if he doesn't, I think they'll be looking for a quarterback next year. And uh, we're going to talk, uh, you know, about uh, the uh, Cincinnati quarterback uh, Rudder going to the Falcons. I'm anxious to, you know, get Fred's uh, opinion and insight about uh, those picks. But uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see, Roy. Uh, you know, and, and it'll be interesting. Is it definitely Gronkowski coming back to the Bucks? Is that definite?
3: Well, he hasn't. He hasn't. No, we don't know that yet. He hasn't made a decision, and uh, that's. Why I think that's one of the reasons the Bucks. Uh, uh, you know, picked up two tight ends, not just one. They picked up two, uh, one with a premium pick in the in the second round or third round. So, to me, it makes sense to, to do that because you don't know if he's coming back or not. I think he ultimately will. I'll be surprised if he doesn't. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, you do have to prepare for the day when he's gone. If he does come back this year, you got to think, look, Elena, I think the Bucks realize this will, this will probably be Gronkowski's last year. It'll probably be Brady's last year. With the Buccaneers, I don't. I think Brady's going to end up still going to uh, Miami uh, and, and playing for the owner there and for uh, Sean Payton. That'll be a that'll that'll be a soap opera that'll uh, play out next year. But uh, right now, I I think um, right now I think the, the Bucs realize that their their days with uh, having Tom Brady and Gronkowski are 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 short, and uh, they're t- trying to take advantage of it uh, while they can. When,
4: yeah, when will the Brady saga end? Anybody want to – let's take bets now on the year that
3: ends.
1: <laughs> Never. About
3: three years after he retires <laughs> is when it will end. So something will come out after he retires, shortly after he retires, about something else that he did that uh, wasn't necessarily uh, on board with, uh, with the rules or whatever it might be, and there will be more. So I, right. I, I am convinced and uh, that he, he he finds a way, and if it's not always uh, – Legal, but uh, he finds a way of doing things uh, to to make sure that he wins. He's got, a, he's got some Belichick in him. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, keep really me Going back to the off top off of the show, uh, going back
1: to the lightning, two things to talk about real quickly. One is Tampa in the playoffs has been very, very successful, three, uh, two consecutive Stanley Cups. However, the Maple Leafs are just the opposite. They have a very, very tough time winning when it comes to the playoffs. They got off to a good start, even got a power play, but didn't do anything with it.
3: Well, they got another one now. Uh, so you're, you're right though. I mean, look, the Maple Leafs specialize in, uh, first round playoff, uh, exits. So we'll see what happens. They've got another power play here because Tampa just is trying to play this gritty style and it's, it's really not, look, the officials are, are clearly trying to crack down on this, uh, in this series, at least, um, you know, usually you don't see a you, you pretty much, you know, see teams allowed to just play and get physical and everything else in the playoffs. But, uh, I think when Sheldon Keith, the Maple Leafs uh, coach, uh, announced uh, two days before the series started here in Toronto that this is going to be a border borderline violent series, I think the NHL decided we're going to make sure it's not, and they are calling every uh, you know sort of touch foul you can you can come up with, um, and of course uh, the, the Lightning are making it easy on them, and they're they're, they're certainly not getting cheapies. That's uh, uh, that's that's for sure, but um, you know we'll see what happens. Look, this is what varied. Lightning the other night, uh, right now, right now the, the the Maple Leafs are on their second power play already of the first period. We're just halfway through, and uh, we'll see what happens. So Tampa can't keep playing uh, down a man. They have a hard enough time scoring five on five. They need to get on the power play themselves in order to win games. So we'll see where this goes, but uh, right now it's not looking good for Tampa. We'll see how it changes, but in fact, it probably will change. Well, we'll go well, next a great week. Static. Well, well, listen,
4: ahead, Roy, have a great week. Uh, we got Fred Khalil, uh, CBS 46 and Atlanta sports director. And Roy, thank you. As always, we we just think the world of you and we appreciate it so much. Pleasure's always mine guys. Thanks for having me. Have a Take great care. week. Thanks. Roy. Fred, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. And, uh, you can give us some insight how you're doing, how everything's uh, – I know CBS 46 has a new 7 o'clock news uh, program now. So we do, and it's, uh, it's going great. It's going great. And you know what? Back
0: to Tom Brady playing late, he could teach himself how to kick. He could be George Blanda. George Blanda played until he was 47. <laughs> right. He was the quarterback, right? Remember that? That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right.
6: And he, he was, was still kicking I mean, too. Freddie was still guess, kicking, well,
1: too, not only just quarterbacking. I know. I know. I know. That's what I mean. I, I
0: remember when they would bring him in, I remember my dad would just cringe, like, oh, man, this guy's 50 years old.
4: But, yeah.
0: So, hey, Brady could but, teach himself how to kick. There you go.
4: He's ready to go. Fred, I wanted to ask you, you know, I looked at the, uh, the Falcons draft, and, and I, there's some questions. I mean, they gave number two and number four to the Giants. I assume that they're playing, for, as holding them for next year, and uh, and this is like a uh, maybe a, a, a year where they develop uh, Desmond Rudder from uh, the quarterback from Cincinnati. They got Mariota, obviously, as a uh, as a bridge. Uh, but what did you think of the Falcons' draft?
0: You know, I'm like I agree with you, Roger. It's kind of we got to wait and see. I think. Now, look, you remember, if you were, you've you been in Atlanta long enough to remember that Michael Vick sat behind Chris Chandler, right. worked his way in, then he injured his knee, so he was out that other year. And I think that time on the sideline helped Vick really make a splash when he did finally get healthy and debut. And I think the same for Ritter. I think if he can just be patient, you know, these guys got to come in and they got to perform right away. That's hard. You know, he's really – sometimes it's not fair to them. You know, if he could take some time and sit behind a guy like Mariota and have Arthur Smith teach him a little bit, you know, and he. but the fans have to be patient as well because I don't think, as you just said, I don't think this year is going to be very much fun.
1: Well, yeah, we i got to ask you stuff. about Mariota because, uh, you know, he, he uh, came on the scene and a lot of, uh, you know, advertisement about how great he was going to be and if his college career was super but he's been sort of spotty in and out of the lineup since he's been in the league. Can he take over and be a legitimate first line quarterback for Atlanta?
0: No, I don't think he's going to lead these guys to the playoffs. That's what I'm saying. I think he's just the stopgap until they can get, you know, Ritter ready to go. I think that he's a veteran and they're just hoping, you know, he can get everybody lined up, you know, and get the playoffs and make sure that they get off clean and, you know, just keep it together until they can bring the guy they really want in.
4: Well, you know what's interesting on that, Fred, Don and you and, and Frank know this. He was Chip Kelly's guy. And uh, the, the Eagles were trying to make all kinds of moves to get him, uh, you know, coming out of Oregon. You remember that? Because right. uh, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. Chip was Chip was running the show, <laughs> let me tell you. Howie Rosen, his office was put in the closet. So, <laughs> so uh, you never know. But the uh, what did you think? I mean, uh, uh, what's your opinion of the uh, wide receiver? I was surprised that the Falcons didn't go more for a defensive line in the first pick. But that's my thought because, I mean, they did uh, sign an extension on Brady Jarrett. But I I really think that they need some bulk up front on uh, both offensive and defensive lines.
0: I agree with you. The offensive line, I mean, you know, it's like uh... – Matt Ryan was like duck and cover, baby. He didn't get a lot of time to do a lot of things. I mean, you want to blame everything on Matt Ryan? You know, you can't do it. I mean, he had no, no. time. They couldn't run the ball, and that's the whole thing. They haven't. I'm not sound like an old man now. I am old, but they haven't been able to run We're the ball. You're all old, yeah, so you can't. <laughs> well, but you can't shorten the you can't shorten the game. You know, if you can run the ball, right. at least you can shorten the game and, and give your guys a little bit of a break. But man, you know, they're getting the crap kicked out of them because they can't run the ball. And because everybody's loading up, they know they're going to try. And Matt Ryan was just under fire all year long. I mean, they've got to get an offensive line. They've got to get, you know, help up front because they, they just are not very good.
1: Well, you know, Ray, give, us an, give us an outlook of the division. Tell us what the division's going to do.
0: Well, I wish I could tell you what the division is going to do. But, you know, I mean, like you guys were talking about Tampa Bay with Gronk and you know, and Brady and all that stuff coming back. You know, we'll see what happens there. I don't know. Uh, you know, I guess Tampa Bay, they'll probably look at them again to be the favorites, I would think, uh, with the right. Saints right there. And, and uh, you probably have to put the Panthers and, and Falcons fighting it out for, you know, the, the last two spots in the <laughs> NFC South. Roger I think May, a lot of, of people are, of are,
4: are high on the Saints uh, draft, Fred. I've heard that on yeah. NFL radio. A lot of the so-called experts.
0: Yeah, I mean they are. I mean, and that's a good team too. I mean, they're, you know, they weren't that far off either. You know, and, and so yeah, the, the division I think is is not strong. Let's say that. So whoever comes out of that division is not going to say, "Oh man, look out in the playoffs, here they come, the NFC South." Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen this year.
1: We're yeah, in they're doing the same position yeah, quarterback wise they you know uh they uh, they they're trying to find a quarterback that's going to be replace a, a great quarterback and they just haven't been able to do it yet we'll see what happens
0: yeah they haven't been able to sign anybody or get anybody that's really you know no. we'll see what happens we'll see what they can do but and you know, again I you don't, know. I'm not Last time
4: we were talking to you, Fred. You know, we were talking about uh, you know the Braves. The Braves having some trouble now, but this is early in the season. But we were talking about the Dogs uh, with their national championship, and I mentioned earlier uh, this was an an all-time record uh, for one team in the uh, seven-round draft uh, as far as draft picks, and Georgia had fifteen draft picks. I mean, there. Are, I think there was 17 when the uh, rounds were nine, you know, a number of years ago. Uh, but I see – 12, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, well, that's right. I mean, when you go way back, yeah. The uh, But I see they got John Fitzpatrick at comp, uh, tight end uh, from Georgia going to the uh, Falcons, and also the fifth round, Justin Schaffner, the guard. And uh, so they got some good players in the later rounds there. Uh, but uh, let me ask you. I I'm a big fan of just of Jordan Davis. I I really think he's going to have a great NFL career and a foundation. And I've said it a number of times. Do you agree with me about him?
0: I do, I do. I really like him a lot. You know, I mean, in addition to being a great player, I think he's a good person. I think yes. that you know he he really is a good a great player who can you know, stop everything in the middle and he's quick enough to be a pass rusher as well. I think that's what they're going to find is he can go inside and rush the passer as what, you know, come up the middle and do that as well as stopping the run and the Kobe Dean behind him, you know, and let's face it, you know, i tell you what, if you're a linebacker, you want to play behind a guy like Jordan Davis, because he's Mm -hmm. eating a lot of that stuff that's coming at you. And you're running. Let's go
1: back to Roger's question about the Braves. Uh, I saw their doubleheader loss yesterday. I saw their entire win today. They finally started to hit the ball. They were no hit again up into the sixth, fifth, bottom of the fifth inning or top of the fifth inning and finally came away with a big win, 9-2. to two. But the Braves have really overall been struggling. What do you think?
0: You know, I think it's April, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. look at the all-star break last year. I mean, it's April, or it's May. It's just now early May, so – I, I've been here 30 years. This is my 31st year covering the Braves. And if I heard Braves suck one time, <laughs> I've heard it a million times throughout <laughs> the summer. And then in October, all these people want to go to the playoffs. they their own playoff tickets. I said, well, you said they stink. So why do you want to, you know, I mean, they're, they're not going to – so I don't – I cannot – I really, I know I'm probably not a good sports fan, but I don't get stressed out. I've been doing this too long, so I don't get stressed right. out over this stuff, especially in May, May Fourth, you know, May Fourth. So I'm not going to get worried about this. Not even until after the All Star break. Maybe sometime in August, you know, if they start trading guys, then it's time to worry. But but I'm not worried about what they're doing. I mean, I, I really am not. Wow. One way or the other, I would be I would be all psyched up if they were in first place either.
4: Well, wait, yeah, you're exactly. It's way too early. I did want to ask you, did you get one of the replica rings? I did. Oh,
0: I did. (laughs) Oh,
4: I'll tell you what I was. Yeah, well, I was telling Don, and and I was showing pictures. I was up uh, for a week to see my kids and. I was at the Philadelphia Sports Writers, and I was showing them the picture of it. And uh, I was subbing uh, a couple weeks ago after that first uh, day they gave them out, and one of the teachers, the whole family got them. So a friend of mine who Don knows, uh, we were going to go to the game on the 23rd, but I'm not paying that price to get a decent ticket when you can go the next place to see a game at a regular price. Uh, it, and then yeah. when you see what they are, well, you probably saw them on on uh, on social media. They're like uh, they're or social, uh, you know, uh, those apps. They're, they're like two hundred and seventy-five dollars, but that's a nice, oh, that's a nice replica. Yeah, for the replica. Yeah. Oh, it's
0: very nice. Very nice. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's they nice. did
1: a nice job. Yeah. 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 I, I don't really know. Explain. Explain too, Roger. That that. Uh, you know, you were saying you were going to go to the game, but the game is not a Braves game. It's a it's a, a, a minor league game. They, they were using that as one of the inducements to sell tickets. If you bought no, a ticket, no, you no. got a ring.
4: No, no, that was strictly the Braves. Don RG and I were at the Gwinnett game when they presented the real rings to all the staff at the Gwinnett uh, right, stri- stripers. But uh, the the fans got the ring, just like Fred was uh, talking about. And that's a regular Justin's replica ring, but it's heavy, isn't it, Fred? I it mean, is. it's like it th- is, the, yeah, about I mean, the weight of the real thing. Well,
1: it's oh, I thought yeah, that I was I'm one of the good. I thought that was one of the giveaways that the uh, well, that oh. game that uh, if you bought no. a ticket, you were gonna.
4: No, that's the that's the Braves. They had a they had a game, and then they have one on May twenty third, and yeah, I think the one next more, they one. Got two yeah, I got two my two of them left, but. What I found, Fred, was that uh, the, the secondary ticket market bought, must have bought up the tickets, because if you want to get like a first, a first, uh, first base uh, like box seat, it's like 292 dollars, I think I saw. And uh, so oh there's gosh. plenty of tickets available, but not through Braves.com. That's standing room only at 45. And uh, so I don't know, you know, uh, whether you, you if you get a standing room ticket, I don't even know whether they give you one. But I just thought that they really did a great job because uh, in, in that not only marketing it, but to sharing uh the replica, a real oh, replica.
0: Oh, with the fans. Some, yeah. I mean,
4: oh, yeah. Yeah. With the fans. I really did. That, that, I mean, that's really good PR. But uh, I mean, we can talk a little bit about the Hawks. Uh, the, uh, what do you think? Are, the, are they, are they going to be okay in the future?
0: You know what? I think they've got to have, they've always had complimentary players in the last 30 years, complimentary players. So they get to the conference semi-finals They finally got to the conference finals because they had some really decent players. And, you know, and they've got to have somebody. I think that, that, uh, Trey young and of course John Collins are are much better than complimentary players. But now they need a couple of complimentary players to go with them. I know it's kind of a bunch of mumbo-jumbo that I just said, but, but I think if they want to go over the top, they need some guys to help out Collins and Trey Young. But, but those two guys are certainly solid. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Cliff Capella, Clint Capella, because he's been, he's been really good for him. but he got hurt. You know, I mean, if they have him, who knows? If they have John Collins 100%, who knows? They had him at 50%. So, I mean, right. they had some tough luck, too, down the stretch.
1: Yeah, they did. Oh, yeah. You're right. They had some tough luck. And also, I mean, Young was a superstar in the first round and, and what a, you know, a superstar uh, all the way, but he didn't have enough help in, in, in the second round. He just couldn't do anything.
0: No, I mean, they need, they Dude, need some big people because they got to be able to play a half-court game in the, in the playoffs, and they, they weren't able to do that this year. They were able to do it a little bit last year, but they weren't able to do it. You know, they weren't able to come in and, Because Collins wasn't 100%, Capella wasn't 100%, you know, and they don't have the depth that other teams have, you know. So those guys had to play, and they were playing on one leg.
4: Well, yeah, you know, I would love to see hockey, uh, NHL hockey back in Atlanta. I was there for uh, opening night of the Flames in October of 72. I was there for the Thrashers opening night, and uh, I used to go to a lot of uh, Flames games. And I just, uh, I think it's it's really a shame uh, that uh, the city doesn't have it. And I know I was talking to the uh, president of the uh, uh, Gladi- Gladiators, you know, with uh, Gwinnett. Yeah. And uh, I know sure. that's uh, Jerry, right? And, uh, yeah, he, he, yeah he's, he's really dedicated uh, to bringing uh, NHL hockey or AHL first, maybe, uh, back to Atlanta because you know, the fans were there, Fred. It wasn't a matter of uh lack of uh support by the fans. I I think it was strictly management incompetence.
0: Well it was management and the ownership, you know, they, they to get yeah. it you know to move to Winnipeg. Winnipeg's a tiny market. I mean yeah. they may like them, but I mean it's a tiny market. Give me a break. You know, I mean and at, the, and the lake found, got a lot here's of the money. difference. Here's the difference. The NHL founder Phoenix has had what three or four different arenas since they've been there, and they yep. still don't really drive. They're going into they're going, into, they're, going, into, they're, going into, they're going to play at the Arizona State Club Hot.
6: Fredna,
1: Fred, Fred, I want to thank you very, very much for joining us in this segment. You're always a, a real pleasure to have on, and you got everything in hand. Down there, CBS is in control of Atlanta, so you're doing a great <laughs> job. No doubt. Thank you very, very got much, it. and we'll we'll All get right, you back on real soon. You got Fred, our next guest coming up. Our next guest coming up, you talk about a Hall of Famer, Fran Dunphy, who uh, well explained, first of all, Fran is the, going back to the coaching lines, and I believe, I mean, he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's 72. But uh, he's the winningest coach <laughs> in the history of Philadelphia basketball. He played his college basketball, LaSalle, was one of the greatest teams in LaSalle history. Went to the University of Pennsylvania, then on to Temple. So he's coached in the uh, – two of the uh, five, big five teams, and now he's agreed to take over the LaSalle program that is uh, trying to make a total comeback and be really competitive. First of all, friends, thank you very, very much for taking time to join us this evening, and two, on congratulations what you've already done, and I look forward to the Explorers doing something in the future.
7: Well, thanks, Don. I appreciate it. Good to be with you, and uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty lucky person and uh, this is uh, it's going to be a daunting task that I have in front of me but uh, you know looking forward to the challenge and trying to help in any way that I can
4: Roger well I'll tell you Fran seeing and talking to you the other night uh, the at the sports writers I that that was terrific Uh, Phil Martelli was in uh, in high gear and uh, I love the story but you know, I just think it's, it's wonderful that you, uh, at this stage in your career, forget the age. Uh, forget about that. That you are going back to your alma mater to resurrect that great Explorers program from the past. And, uh, and if anybody can do it, you can. So uh, I, I can remember being at the Jadwin Gym and, and seeing those great uh, Princeton Penn games. Uh, when you were coaching there and then at Temple. And uh, if anybody can turn the program around, Fran, it's you and going back to your alma mater.
7: Well, you're nice to say that, and we're going to try to do the best job that we can. And the reality is it's all about the players and how good they are and how much they buy in and can get together and and appreciate that the defensive end is probably a good place to start. And yet, you know, people will come to see us play if we – we do well and score some points and have an exciting brand of basketball. We'll, we'll try our best. And as we talked about it, you, you get the best players you can to join your team.
1: Well, Fran, Tommy Gold did it, and I'm the late Tommy Gold, the great Philadelphia basketball legend, did it a few years ago, and you're taking over in pretty much the same situation. The only thing I did read in uh, in the summation of uh, uh, talking about LaSalle you do have, a, I guess, an eight million dollar package starting for a new field house and so forth. So that's got to be a little bit of an inspiration for everybody that thinks about going to LaSalle and playing basketball or just getting a good education.
7: Well, it's uh, I appreciate it, Don. We're we're trying to to build the and do better at the Tom Gola Arena and have uh, you know uh, seats all the way around and, and just revamp that arena, it was a, a lead gift gift by uh, a man by the name of John Glazer, who has been so good to LaSalle over the years. And so it was uh it was time for us to, to cash in on that. And, and uh, it looks like we're, we're moving hopefully feet ahead on that project that will give us, uh, you know, we'll try to do the best we can with our, our facility to start with. And, and have people come to games there and, and, and have a great atmosphere.
4: Roger. Fred, looking at your roster uh, with the returning players, um, how does that look to you as far as strengths and weaknesses?
7: Well, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, Roger, we had, uh, we, we we lost three kids to the transfer portal as, as okay. you're probably uh, attuned to. Uh, mm-hmm. And if those, three kids had stayed uh, I would have felt pretty good about where we are but they they chose to transfer and that's certainly their right and they can do that uh, so we've got some work to do we've got uh, we've got to replace those guys who played as many minutes as they did and were are good basketball players and really good guys as well so I'm disappointed that I won't be able to coach them but uh, I want to wish them uh, all the best in in whatever way that I can and we're we're working hard at uh, trying to get some some good kids to take their spot, and we're doing okay. Uh, and and that's really the whole thing, Roger. You, you know, you need good guys, you need good players, and and uh, we're in a very very competitive league. Plus we mm-hmm. play in the five, so we've we've got our hands full, but uh, that's what you want in life is a challenge, and and hopefully we get complete and total buy in by the guys that we do have.
1: The great Fran Dunphy, our guest this evening, as we talk about college basketball, and he's taken over the LaSalle program and going to rebuild it. 2 uh, two poor questions, Fran. Uh, you used to be able to really recruit very, very effective players from the Metropolitan Philadelphia area. That's been a little tough of late. And secondly, you just mentioned the portal. Uh, as, from a coaching standpoint, what does the portal – I mean, how does it affect you?
7: Well – it affects everybody in the college game today it's uh, right the fact that you don't have to sit out a year when you transfer is is certainly beneficial to the individual uh, athlete i don 't know how good it is for the the, the programs themselves it's, it, it leaves you in a, in a bit of a uh, bit of a, a quandary, but while you are losing some kids to the Porto you also can gain some by Uh, recruiting kids who are in there who maybe are not happy at their school or see a better opportunity at another school. And hopefully uh, LaSalle will be the destination of a couple of these kids and we'll be, we'll be uh, able to put out a a representative team out on the court. So it works both ways. Uh, You know, as a purist, that's, that's not what you, in my mind, that's not how you build your program. Uh, You know, you want to get kids who are freshmen and and you know, who's really hurt by this Don is the, is the uh, juniors and seniors in high school because most programs are trying to get older as quickly as they can to get more experience, and it's leaving uh, leaving the juniors and seniors in high school in a very difficult position.
4: And that, that's what troubles me about the whole thing. Roger? Yeah, well, the, the, uh, just talking about the portal, I mean, look at uh, St. Peter's, the Cinderella team in, in the uh, tournament, and I think what three of those players followed the coach to uh, Seton Hall, so uh, I doubt whether St. Peter's will be having a repeat performance. I mean that was just a, a really a special uh, situation, really. But uh, the, the are, are there any players that you could see uh, that would be transferring to LaSalle that maybe will get a a, a, a greater opportunity, Fran? Uh, with the Explorers and you than they would at their existing school now?
7: Well, we certainly hope so, but that's that'll be up to the student-athlete, their families to decide. Uh, but there are, there are kids that we are talking to and trying to, to get them to, to come to LaSalle with us and, and uh, see what they can do in, in, in a program in Philadelphia that has some history and tradition. Uh, but it's, uh, there, there's a lot of competition out there. And, again, our league, as we talked about, is – just a terrific basketball league it's got great coaches great players some terrific programs and and uh, everybody's got their hands full as you try to get to the NCAA tournament and we're in a now we're in a 15 team league and last year mm-hmm. we got two teams in the NCAA tournament four teams in the NIT so there's great competition within it and you you better be on your stuff if you get as soon as you uh, enter that Atlantic 10 league
1: how about the recruiting, as I said, a moment ago in the metropolitan Philadelphia area, because uh, normally the Sal and, and Saint Joe and uh, they would have the opportunity to really uh, uh, harvest the team out of the metropolitan Philadelphia area. Is that possible now? There are enough really good players in the area now, suburbs to to uh, make yourself really a competitive team on a national basis?
7: Yeah, I think there is, Don. I think Philadelphia is a is a is a fertile recruiting area. There's no question about it. Do kids want to stay home like they used to? Probably not. I think they see opportunities at other institutions and away from Philadelphia. And I understand it. Uh, not necessarily saying I agree with it, but I understand it. And so, uh, what we need to do is make impacts and. Uh, and maybe the cycle changes where kids now are thinking about staying home and playing in front of their home fans and, and their families and that kind of thing. But uh, right now there's, there's great opportunity. And and the reality is that I think ESPN had a lot to do with that. Uh, Now you're seeing all these games on TV and, and that ESPN plus, even if it's not on one of the bigger ESPN networks, you can always get it, uh, get the games on TV. So, uh, wherever you play, your fans are going to be able to see you. and So it's probably as much of that as anything else. But it would be really nice if we could keep some of these young fellas home and uh, represent their city as well as their institution.
4: Roger? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll have to uh, try to talk to some players at high schools <laughs> down here for you, Fran, and send them up north. Because Absolutely, Roger. Yeah, there's a lot of players here, and but some of the big teams aren't uh, recruiting, you know, uh, some of these players, I'll tell you. Because I, I saw a number of high school games this year, and uh, I live in Forsyth County, and and since I'm subbing, what i would do is I just stay at the high school and watch games. So, uh, you know, it's what you have to do. And I know my daughter for two years was coaching girls at Seelands Grove High School. And then she helped out at uh, Shamokin And I'll tell you, I was amazed. She told me that one girl up there so uh, was uh, recruited, but she tore her ACL. She was uh, probably going to go to Yukon. So I'll we'll have to get her to tell me about the the, the boys that are up in, in that area above uh, Harrisburg. We'll do everything we can for you. Well, I appreciate it, Raj. You know, keep an eye out for us and, and uh,
7: talk. And, 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 again, we're we have such a phenomenal college basketball town. And Don mentioned it uh, earlier in his remarks. And it's just great basketball in Philadelphia. Plus we've got the 76ers and hopefully Joel indeed will get happy enough to, to play uh, coming up in games three here, game three and four at home. And, uh, you know, I feel, feel for him and, and the Sixers. And, and maybe they can uh, actually, I'm watching some, while I'm talking to you guys, I'm watching the Sixers. Sound down. Uh, down five, yeah, I'm 20. doing the
1: same thing. <laughs> <laughs> good
7: for you. Good for you. But that's what happens. We're all crazy about basketball in this city, and and uh, and there's plenty of it to watch. And it's not only the Division One schools. We've got a bunch of Division Two II and Three schools that play some really good basketball, and, and a great high school grouping of of teams. And uh, so we're pretty spoiled right here in Philadelphia that we, we have this kind of opportunity to watch basketball for sure
1: most of the people around the country aren't familiar with, uh, or that familiar with Philadelphia and the fact that the Big Five has been such a tradition in the city and the fact that the closest of the five universities, and now you've also incorporated Drexel, even though it's not part of the Big Five, yet most of the schools play Drexel on a regular basis to make it really six teams. And uh, one, one thing I'd like to talk to you about is the fact that what tremendous, not support, but... Uh, Tremendous push you got from all your friends to take this job and to uh, try to rebuild this program, a highly traditional program at LaSalle. The Explorers, it's not like they have a won. I mean, they've got a great history and have had great players, but uh, they've, they really kept the pressure on you to come back and rebuild this show.
7: Well, they you know, the, the reality is done. LaSalle did so much for me as a a student and an athlete, and then they gave me a chance as an assistant basketball coach. So I'm so, so lucky. And when, uh, really, when somebody asks you to serve, you go ahead and do it. And uh, they would ask and think that I could do a good job. And I, so I feel like I want to do my best for Otter, and, and hopefully we can, uh, we can have a very good representative program, and, and uh, we can, we can make a difference in the city and certainly at LaSalle University.
1: Roger? Well,
4: you know, you you got to get Bill Raftery out there, because uh, <laughs> one night on the National, he was talking about, and my backcourt mate, uh, Tony Abbott, and I'm thinking, Tony's sitting right behind them at the game. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> Raff could do some good recruiting for you, Brad. Yeah, he
7: sure could, and uh, Tony Abbott was my freshman coach at LaSalle oh so many years ago, and yeah. Stayed in touch with for the years. It don't make
4: him any better than
7: Tony Abbott. So I'm, I'm grateful for that relationship as well.
4: Well, I worked with well, him you, for many years. So
1: each and yeah. them, each and every one of your stops, you really had a a great administrative staff to work with uh, at the University of Pennsylvania At the University of Pennsylvania, so many years winning the Ivy League title, and it was really you and Princeton, and it got to be Penn and Harvard. Uh, great, great uh, years there, and then, of course, at Temple following John Chaney, which was not the easiest thing in the world to do, and uh, so it's it's been a great run, Fran.
7: Yeah, I've been really lucky, Don, and I I appreciate appreciate you guys having me on, and it's fun to talk about Philadelphia College basketball, and certainly appreciate my alma mater and what it's done for so many people, And, and we've had, you're right, we've had some really, really good players and good teams over the years. It would be fun to to recapture some of that, uh, that glory, as, as they say.
1: Roger?
4: Well, I just. all I can say is I wish you the, the best of luck. I, I think with Sal's very blessed friend uh, to uh, have you back there uh, coaching. Uh, if, like I said, if anybody can do it, you can. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I don't know what else. Uh, just, uh, you know, we're praying for you. Yeah, I appreciate
7: it. Keep those prayers. Going. I can always use them. Light a candle for me if you're going to church or whatever. So I appreciate it, Bill.
1: Well, one of the things you touched on a minute ago, and of course, it's fixed right now down by eight, fifty-seven, forty-nine. But uh, you know, basketball is so so uh, dependent on that one or two big men in the middle or the big. You know, that's really the game. And uh, with the with the seventy-sixers having he go down with the with first, the thumb. And uh, it's, it's all, it's hard to make up those kind of points and rebounds and, and this general play. Yeah. Well,
7: he's an extraordinary talent. I don't think, I don't think the pro game has seen a talent like him in a long time at that big man spot. I mean, he can, he can block shots. He runs the floor. He, he makes plays. He makes threes. There's nothing he can't do. He's a, Again, an extraordinary talent. So it would be nice to nice to get him back. It was just one of those freak things that happens. and not much you can do about it, but hopefully the guys can uh, maintain a, a level of play that that keeps us in the game here tonight, and, and then certainly when they come back home for games three and four. Hopefully Embiid will play, and uh, uh, again, just a, an amazing talent.
1: Yeah, he certainly is. And I'll tell you, one of the things that uh, was most amazing. Uh, not amazing to me, but uh ha- happy to see it uh, he uh, He just learned how to be physically ready to play when he first came in the first few years uh, he would have a difficult time in the fourth quarter and and uh, just be physically ready that 's not the case now he 's ready to go uh, for a full game plus a, if you need any overtime he 's still there
7: <laughs> yeah again he's he 's an amazing basketball player and i don 't
1: think the, the the nBA has seen a big guy like for a long time. Well, Fran, I want to thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's been a segment of talking about college basketball. Once again, those folks around the country, it's Fran Dunphy. He's a new head basketball coach at LaSalle University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. If you have a son that's thinking about going to college and, and playing basketball, uh, come to the city of Philadelphia, come to the big five, uh, tremendous competition within the big five, tremendous, tremendous competition, Within the A10, there's so many things going on in basketball in Philadelphia. All I can do is recommend you couldn't go to a better guy than Fran Duffy. Fran, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks, Fran, uh, thank
7: you so much. You got it, Raj.
4: All the best to you guys. You thank too. You. Thank you.
1: Okay. Take care, partner. Thank, thank you very much once again. The 76ers, uh, sixty to forty nine, they're down right now, and uh, there's a uh, well one second ago in the second period, in the second quarter. So. That's where that game stands, and the, the, the Lightning were still nothing, nothing last look. Uh Roger, go to it.
4: Well, I, I'm, I'm watching the game, too, and and uh, I would just uh, say, just to follow up, I, you can't beat Fran. And, uh, you know, the uh, I'm serious. I I, I have met uh, some of these uh, high school coaches, and I'm going to talk to them about, uh, you know, LaSalle, because they know the 8-10. And Fran's exactly right. I mean, Don, you and I remember the A-10 when Temple was in. It. And, Correct. Uh, and, and St. Joe's, and then LaSalle came in, and of course Temple went in another direction, a bigger conference, but the A-10 has always been an outstanding basketball conference.
1: and No question. Uh, and as Fran just said, look at the teams that got into the playoffs. They got, what, five yeah. teams in the NIC, and, and as well as the NCAA tournament. So you're, you're talking about great, great competitive basketball at a great conference in the A10.
4: Well, and and that's what I I want to talk to these uh, coaches about because they, there are players here
1: uh, that
4: are not that are good players that I have seen, and they're quick. They've got height. Not when I'm, and I mean when I say height, they may be in the uh, six six range, you know, as as a forward. And uh, but I really was impressed with some of them. But they're not going to go to Georgia or Georgia Tech, okay? You know, in those two big conferences. And Kennesaw State is uh, is growing, and uh, and my my daughter knows sees a lot of uh, the boys and tells me too, obviously because she's in the schools. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to really you know work for Fran and you know, as best I can. Uh, because I think that uh, you know, you send uh, somebody. It's a two-hour plane ride. Uh, you know what? You know what it reminds me of, just in reverse. When I talked to No Sean Marino, and I asked him that time, uh, how long does it take your parents to drive down here to see you play? And he says, drive. They fly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like Am I an idiot or something? You know, it was a two-hour, uh, you know, flight. Of course, that's to see one game a week. But, uh, you know, the, when I see the way parents uh, follow their kids around with AAU and with travel, uh, uh, sports, softball, baseball. Uh, the uh, And the other night uh, when I was uh, up in, um, uh, in Sealance Grove, I think I told you, Don, the Catholic University baseball team came in. Oh, I didn't tell you about this. Uh, They came in to play Susquehanna. And I asked uh, this uh, gentleman that was one of the coaches, I said, um, do you uh, remember Ken Beatrice? And he says, no, I don't. He says, but this guy does. The head coach came in, and I I asked him. He says, oh, I know Ken very well. And I said, well, his son played for you. And he says, "Yeah, he was." A, I said, "He was a catcher." Yeah, Bob Beatrice. I remember when he was playing baseball at Catholic U. Now this goes. This you could tell. This this is a legendary baseball coach. You know, and right. it reminded me he probably is friends with Bill. That we you know we have. Uh, it's the official score, and uh, but it was interesting. I mean, you know, to, to run into somebody because you and I know Ken legendary uh, talk show host, uh, first at BZ in Boston and then at WMAL. So it's a small world that's getting smaller, Don.
1: Yeah, i I think uh, going back to Frank for just a moment, uh, as I say, you know, look at his history as a basketball coach, but more importantly, look at his history as a person. Uh, he was a great yes. baseball player at LaSalle. He was a great basketball player at LaSalle, all city uh, at, at LaSalle. And as I said, went on to be the head coach at the University of Pennsylvania. First took Penn's, uh, ever many in a in NCAA tournament, as well as winning the, the Ivy league, then going over to temple and trying to replace John Cheney, which was not the easiest thing in the world to do. And then became the athletic director at temple university and retired. And uh, his friends and the coaches and the people around the, the Philadelphia area uh, came to Fran and said that you, uh, as a former player, former explorer player, great explorer player, and uh, coaching experience, winning his coach in Philadelphia history, that maybe you'd be the guy to come in and try to resurrect a LaSalle program that's been struggling. And uh, the one thing that he touched on, and I, I have to agree, that portal, uh, to me, is, is very, very tough to work against that portable uh, when a portal. When you're a, a St. Joe's, a LaSalle, a smaller school, St. Peter's, as you indicated, um, you know, Everybody jumps from one school to another, so it makes it even more difficult to recruit and to keep the kids on on in school to uh, to continue to play.
4: When they don't have to sit out of here. that's the whole right. key,
1: you exactly. know. And, and now, John?
4: yeah, now you can get a quarterback to come in on the football team from another school that's got all kinds of experience. You can get a top uh, basketball player. Well, the uh, the backup quarterback from Georgia. Uh, left to go uh, take take advantage of the portal, and he's going right. to another big school, not the not I the one ch- that won the national championship. The backup.
1: I think Frank wants to say something. To Frank- Mike's ready to go. Go ahead. Who who's ready to go? Mike.
4: Mike's ready to go. Mike's right? ready to go. Oh, he he's is. Ready is to go. Oh, Mike Semchek's
1: ready to go. Oh, I didn't think Mike was there yeah. yet. Oh, okay, Mike. Yeah. Hey, listen. Let me before we get into the soccer, which is your area of expertise that game last night at Washington game last night uh, was really one of the outstanding hockey games I've seen in a long time but the most important thing was the second leading scorer of all time made the defensive play that won the game last night I mean he made a play that you don't see made by very many people
5: you no know, that steal to get the ball would be a puck to Kuznetsov to set up that game winner But that's also the type of play that you see Ovechkin make um, every playoffs. You know he goes, he just ratchets it up a notch on both ends. He's everywhere that he can be because he knows that it's the playoffs and this is do or die. And they know that, you know, based on the regular season, they're going up against the President's Trophy winner. The odds are against them, and they've got to work that much harder. And I really think that they surprised. Florida last right. night. Uh, they surprised a lot of people up here who just didn't think that they were going to be able to contend that they weren't going to be good enough defensively and that they weren't going to be quick enough to hold on with Florida throughout the game. Uh, a lot of things that had plagued them throughout the regular season uh, cropped up in the first two periods of that game. Uh, you know, the, a couple of defensive lapses. Uh, certainly, at one point they had a five-on-three for a couple of, for a minute or so, and they weren't right. able to get it out, uh, get a, a goal. You know, they struggled both um, scoring on penalties and killing them off. So it, it was good to see them make that comeback and um, get it. But um, Don Roger, I got to tell you, how about a, that? Uh, Rangers-Penguins game last night. That was insane. Well,
1: that's I, I said we talked about it uh, on the beginning of the show, and uh, it was so, and I'm lucky I got two TVs so I could see, you know, numerous games at times. But, uh, I mean, that, first of all, uh, I did not recognize that challenge where he had his foot just inside the circle, which was he's 8 for 8 in challenges on the rules, and so he, he knows what he's doing. But he had that goal taken away, and it wound up costing
5: the Rangers the game. And then the backup goalkeeper who'd been sitting there eating Chinese food for the last four hours get fourteen in overtime to win the game for them.
1: It was a heck of a game. I, 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 both games, both games were really unbelievably good last night. I, you know, and, and uh, I, I, I see how the Lightning make out tonight. They didn't start off too well in the first period there. Had a couple of uh, power plays against them, but they didn't allow Toronto to score. So we'll see what happens in the second period. All right.
5: So I figure, though, we do need to talk about the NFL draft. Yeah, you know, the there able... we go. Yeah. Um, so let's start with Baltimore. I'm sure you'll ask the same question. But, you know, by and large, I think everybody kind of loves what Baltimore did they got potential starters up and down um, daniel Lele, who is the kid that they drafted I believe in the fourth round. did you see the profile on this kid? six foot eight three hundred and eighty five pounds he will be the biggest player in the in the NFL next year, kind of right. a Jordan my a lot of type um has a rugby background, but he played a little more, he played at, uh, in high school at IMG and at Minnesota. But, you know, it just shows the Ravens being able to do, um, once again, what they always do, which is, I have to have, have, somebody's going to have to work though with, uh, with Lamar Jackson. They're going to have to sit him down, explain the, uh, Hollywood Brown trade and Talk to him about who's going to be his main um, Receiver next year Uh, Because who's going to be catching the ball for him and that's going to be a big question as far as they go, but I think everybody kind of loves What they did Um, picking up? uh, Kyle Hamilton I thought was a great pick for them. Uh, They got the best center um, Probably the best center in the draft and then You know, in round two, also being able to get Ojabo from Michigan, uh, they just went from strength to strength to strength. I think the uh, question is down 95 a little bit here in the D.C. area where I think if you talk to five different people, you'll get five different perspectives on what the Redskins did. I'm sure if you ask Roy, Roy would might would probably have a different view of it than I do. Um, the only thing I can say is it was a very subjective draft for the commanders. They had their board. They went out and got their guys. Those were the guys that they wanted. Uh, you can make the argument that they did really, really well. You can also make the argument that their top four picks were all taken at least a round ahead of where they should have. So, uh, It's... The front office, again, trying to say, like, hey, these are the guys that we wanted. We took them. We knew what we were doing. They were able to trade out of that number 11 spot and get a couple of the picks, well, get some picks back that they gave up to get Carson Wentz, and I think that was a major thing for them. But uh, wide receiver from Penn State, they love, uh, they like his explosiveness. They like his athleticism there, but – Oh, well, he's very small. He's only 5'10 and three quarters, and 178 pounds. Um, when you have two first-round draft picks on your defensive line, do you really need to go and pick up a third one in the second round of the draft when you have other needs? Um, they went running back in the third round, uh, and I thought they picked a kid from – uh, Alabama may be around too soon, but, you know, that was what they wanted a power running back. And then by the time they got to safety, I think they reached a little bit uh, to do that as well. So that's one there that's – so it, it's going to remain to be seen, whether they, you know, got it right and outsmarted all of us or they completely flubbed their lines over there.
1: Roger? The draft
5: is a
4: crapshoot, Mike. I mean, you know, and – uh, I think the Eagles, had, we were talking about it earlier, I think they had a great draft. And uh, I think because of the uh, trade, the, uh, they now have a number one receiver. And as I said, uh, I think this is either put up or shut up for uh, for Hurts this year, now that he has all these weapons.
5: Well, and as it should be, they gave him everything that he needed to be successful. If he's not successful, they know – hey, this experiment failed. We need to go out and get somebody. And yeah. you're right. It's a crapshoot. I think the difference is, though, you'd rather have the positive narrative because remember, this is the only thing that we've got to talk about really uh, player-related, football-related like this for the next couple of months. Right. So, yeah. you know, the narrative around the Eagles and the Ravens and teams like that is, oh, they did really good. They're looking good everything's positive where you know down here where you're listening to sports radio in this area and talking to other fans it's kind of not so positive and i think the you know given the vacuum of uh, you know any real action happening right now and not much to talk about i think it's just going to get more toxic the longer this goes on uh, in this area and that's bad news for uh franchise that has struggled to keep Roger, well,
1: Henry Roseman had he had taken an awful beating the last couple of years oh, though, he happened had. Yeah, with the no Philadelphia Eagle draft now last year was a little bit better but it's yeah. going to be very interesting to see whether this year he goes over the top and actually picks players he and his group pick players that are going to be able to step in as you indicated they got the trade which gave them the big receiver that they wanted and uh, now it's going to be interesting to see whether the rest of their formula pays out to be as well as the trade they made.
4: Absolutely. Mike, I wanted to ask you what what was the grade that you what grade did you give the uh, C- Commodores, uh Draft?
5: <laughs> I would probably um if I was grading it as an assignment, I would say uh I, I would say uh did not meet ex- expectations. Okay. Not right. Somewhere in wearing that B minus range
1: yeah because Baltimore got number two they were they were the second according to the pro uh, uh, sponsors you know the people that really followed the draft uh, they they felt that Baltimore as you said in the beginning um, was second uh, as far as the draft was concerned I don't remember where Washington was to be honest with you they
5: were kind of in the middle towards the bottom and basically, if you look at the NFC East alone, everybody thinks the Eagles had the best. The Giants did well, and then the Redskins and I'm sorry, the Commanders and the Cowboys didn't do as good as everybody else. You know, if you look at the NFC, the AFC North, everybody's praising the, the, uh, the Ravens, and you know, then thinking the uh, Bengals addressed the needs that they had and the Steelers got the quarterback that they wanted and some good pieces, and we still have questions about the Browns. You know, I think just like the the uh, Eagles really not addressing as much as people would have liked because of the limit of the picks to the uh, defensive backfield, you know, that's the same questions we have with the Ravens. When you trade your, away your top receiver and your the net, Rashad Bateman is just a... Um, it, didn't even have 500 yards last year and basically the other guys are question marks you got to get somebody in there that can catch the ball for Lamar Jackson especially considering the fact that he's going into a contract year. so if you want to keep him uh he's admitted that he's had some problems with the front office in the past and I think that they just got to talk to him like what are you going to do what are you what are you going to give him to help him be successful
1: Roger.
4: Commod yeah, I heard that the uh, Commodore's uh, management uh talked to Wentz um uh, before uh, they made the uh the pick on that
5: quarterback. What was that in the third round? Yeah, they picked up um Howell from North Carolina and then yeah, the North hit. Carolina. Um,
4: yeah. I saw, well, I saw him on TV, but I saw him live at uh Mercedes Benz stadium against Georgia tech. And that was one of the big upsets that tuck tuck tech uh, beat North Carolina because tech did not have that good of a team, but uh, they looked very good in that game. And he looked pretty good in that game to me.
1: Uh, I don't know. I was going to say the same thing, thing, Roger. You know, he, not only does he throw the ball well, but he also is very, very versatile as far as running the ball is concerned. Yeah. Uh, whether he can do that yeah. in the pros to that extent, I don't know. But, I mean, he yeah. really has no hesitation about running the football. No, I, I agree with you 100%, Don, about that.
5: He has a They say he has a really strong arm. He's a pretty big kid. He is extremely mobile, right. as you said. Uh, there were some accuracy issues um, and some – uh, the decision choice on some of his throws, especially this year, but he did not have the strongest line, nor did he have a great crowd of receivers. Uh, so that might've explained it, but I think the commanders did pretty good to grab him when they did in the, in the fifth round. Uh, um, here's a guy that a lot of people thought might be a first or a second rounder and you grabbed him in the fifth. Uh, good on him. Uh, I don't think that he'll challenge Carson Wentz for the starting job next year. The question that they have to ask themselves is uh, what does this mean for Taylor Heineke? Uh, You know, are you going to, obviously they'll keep three quarterbacks on the 53 man roster, but how many people are you dressing on game day? What are you doing with this kid? They also got a really big kid from Southeast Louisiana um, as an undrafted free agent. Too, who they're going to bring in.
1: Let me just interrupt for a second, Roger, before I go back to you. The Lightning have just uh, scored on a power play with 10:03 to go in the second period. They now lead the Maple Leafs by a score of 3-1, to one, and uh, they got off to a shaky start in the first period, but they've come on very strongly in the second. Once again, 3-1, 10 minutes to go. Second period. Go ahead, Roger. Yeah, they're on a roll now. Uh, Sixers
4: are still uh, down by six. Early in the uh, third uh, period, and uh, uh, so we'll see what happens with them without uh, Joel and B. That the, the uh, I'll tell you, Mike. Uh, I was following the that draft, the draft, and I was I really wanted to see what the re- I keep on saying it, the Commodore. You're allowed uh, to. Yeah, and uh, the uh, so I'm actually, I, that's why I wanted. I know I am going to be able to ask you what your grade was because I thought they could have done better. That's my opinion.
5: I think that's the general tenor is that they could have done better. But you know, when you look at that brain, tr- when you look at that team, the front office, it's you know Mar- that collection of Marty Herney, Martin Mayhew, and um, Ron Rivera. They were very clear about. The, getting their players. That's the same thing they did last year when they drafted Jalen Davis, who a lot of people, again, thought was a reach. And as it turned out, that probably wasn't the best pick. So this is his team. These are his prospects. This is his thing. Upgraded the cornerback. He got his wide receivers. He, he, he got his defensive um, linemen. I think for Ron This year, a lot of it's going to be – I think he's probably more on the hot seat than a lot of people realize because Mm -hmm. he's had so much control over the organization for the last couple of years. Um, We talked about the defense and how much they struggled and how surprised I was that Jack Del Rio was able to remain as defensive coordinator, and that was a decision because – you know, Ron said, this is what we're going to do, and everybody else fell in line. When he said, we're going to draft these players, this is who I want, um, everybody else fell in line. Uh, but when he talks about releasing players, you know, I know he, he had to have been okay with the Carson Wentz trade. So he's put a lot on the line with the moves that he's made. If they work.
1: Mike, we're, we're running out of time. Doug's ready to go. But before we uh, get one last question, we didn't even get to the soccer. Is there anything you wanted to touch on in soccer before we go to Doug?
5: Oh, yeah, real quick, two things, um, and they're related. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti, uh, the manager of Real Madrid, won the championship in Spain this week and becomes the first uh, manager to win the championship in the five big leagues in uh Europe, uh, France, Germany, uh, Spain, England, and uh, France, Germany, Spain, England, and Italy. I was wondering because we had Fran Dunphy on. He's part of the way there. Is he going to become the first coach to win the Big Five with all five schools?
1: <laughs> I don't know. If he keeps going the way he is right now, he's liable to do it. He's 72 years of age, He's not slowing him down at all. Going to LaSalle. Mike. Thank you very much once again. We talked a, week, talked a little bit about Baltimore. Talked a little bit right. about the Ravens, and uh, I know Doug, our PGA professional from Baltimore, Maryland, and he follows the Ravens very closely as well as the golf front. So uh, we'll let him talk a little bit about the, the Ravens first because he loves those Ravens. Doug, how about yeah. it? Give us a little shot on what you think of the. Uh, most of the of the experts said that the Ravens had the second best draft <laughs> of all the teams. What's your thoughts?
8: Well, I'm curious. Um, you know, obviously, just coming on the show, what what was uh, Mike's take on on that same question? He
1: he thought they were right up at top two. He didn't know whether it would be one, two, three, but he thought that Baltimore uh, really helped themselves at more than more than uh, a few positions.
8: You know, I'm I'm all on the fence. You know, on this one, uh, as far as you know, these guys giving them, you know. Top two A A plus drafts. I, I when I watched the draft, I was not very pleased with it. I don't. In fact, I, I don't. I can say that I don't really like it. I don't know what the hell they were doing. Um, you know, I I I just think they had some immediate needs they needed to fill, and they didn't do that. So, um, you know, did they get better as a team? Yeah, probably. I mean, to me, I look at I look at their draft as basically a salary dump. Um. You know, they obviously were trying to get younger, and they took, you know, the posi- they've always stayed true to their draft board. Um, you know, they took a punter in the fourth round, and I thought, I lost my mind. I was at work, and they took a punter in the fourth round, and I was like, what are we doing? Like, you know, we, we can't we can't rush the passer, and we have um, a thin um, beat-up secondary, and we're taking a punter in the fourth round. We took a, a developmental t- – Tackled because he was six, eight, three hundred and fifty pounds um I mean if you look at if you look at their roster, they have seven safeties. they have five tight ends, and I'm like, why are we doing this? like you know this doesn't make any sense to me, so I mean, is Kyle Hamilton a good football player? Yeah, he's an excellent football player, but you can only really play two safeties at a time i mean well, who's who's not going to play? Right. You know, they just spent they spent seventy million dollars to get a safety and the other safety that's on the field, by the way, he he wears the green dot, which means he's on the field for every play. So unless they play this guy as a small linebacker or he somehow slides into the nickel position, um, as a you know, a slot guy, I, I don't know where they're gonna put him unless they make a trade of, of Chuck Clark or something of that nature. Um David Ajabo is not even going to play this year, so they—they, they, you know—is he a top ten player? Yeah, that's great. You got wonderful value, but he's not going to step a foot on the field this year. He's not going to help you. You know, um, I, I don't know. I just I was very confused after watching that draft as to which direction that football team is headed because, you know, they have very many needs at the cornerback position, which they took. A guy from Alabama who has trouble staying on the field and another guy from Houston that I've never heard of, um, you know, they have difficulties rushing the passer. They took a guy that tore his Achilles, so he's not going to help you. Um, you know, the defensive tackle they took out of out of UConn might have been their best draft pick, in my opinion, um, or – Actually, the center they took from Iowa—I know it's not a sexy pick—but I think he's going to solidify the line. Um, you know, because their other option was to put Patrick McCarry at the center position, which is abysmal. Uh, but at least he can play left tackle in case Ronnie Stanley can't play. So, you know, I reserve the right to change my opinion at some point in time. But I—I I don't think they were top five, and I don't think they got an A plus. That would, that would be my
4: opinion. Roger. I'll tell you, I saw on uh, one uh, on, on the grant on the NFL uh, website, uh, Villanova. I forget who it was, but Villanova, one of their players got drafted, and you know and it wasn't. It was probably the middle rounds. And I'll tell you, I look at that. You know, Villanova's had some really good players, even though I still call them what is it, Division One uh, A. Yeah. yeah, 1A. and uh, But over the years, I mean, Brian Westbrook, uh, he got drafted because Andy uh, Reid knew about him from living out in that area. And, you know, so, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. I'll have to follow that kid. But you know what? I'll tell you, I think the uh, – and I've, I've listened to NFL radio, Doug, that they uh, they are very high overall on the draft from everything I've heard uh, with the uh, the Ravens. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I think uh, you can't beat uh, or it's tough to to beat that management team. They know what they're doing.
8: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to disagree. Um, I'd rather have Ozzie Newsome, you know, uh, at the helm. I'm not certain I fully believe in Eric DaCosta and his knowledge, Um you know I think that on the surface, as I mentioned, i mean they still have a multitude of of moves that they have to make um you know you're you drafted a a punter in the fourth round, so you're gonna you're gonna cut Sam Cook that's gonna save you a couple couple mil you you're probably i don't know about Nick Boyle I think he's a question mark based on his health that would potentially be a salary cap i mean they're after they make some of these cuts they're probably gonna have about or Ten or fifteen million dollars to spend in free agency. So,
1: I was by, gonna by say, where drafting, do they stand on the cap?
8: Where do they stand on the cap? Um, now they're around seven million dollars, but I mean, after you get your your rookies under
1: control, you're you're under five, under four, probably. Um, and, and where's Jackson now? Where where, where does he stand? Um,
8: you know, no, no negotiations have taken place. Uh, you know, he's still going to be playing under his um, you know twenty three million dollar. Right with um, right. your option, um, but my guess is they're going to they're going to probably re-sign uh, Justin Houston, who's a 33-year-old uh, situational third-down pass rusher. Um, they'll probably go out and sign a veteran wide receiver now that they've played Marquise Brown. Um, they'll probably get some fodder from you know other teams that make cuts, um, whether it's corner or. You know, edge guys, or even a middle linebacker. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, they're they're still going to make a bunch of different moves. They're not they're certainly not done shaping their team. Um, so I I hope they you know get the right pieces in place. Um, and some of these rookies can be you know on the field, special teams, whatever, and 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 produce and be an exciting part of of Ravens football. So I don't know. I I just don't know. I'm confused by by the direction of them.
4: Roger. Well, th- I, I, you know, I can't uh, say w- one way or another. I mean, I just uh, mm-hmm. everything I've heard, uh, you know, they're they're looking good. They they had a good draft. Uh, I mean, maybe well, Mike the, was high uh, on the
1: center, Roger. He was high on the. He thought they got in the center of the future. right? I don't know whether you well, know Doug Doug agrees with that or not. Well, I, that's I'd what like the, the Eagles did too. They got the
4: center uh, for when Kelsey retires. I do. I, I
8: like, you know, this, this guy apparently is, is one of the best and highest grade centers um, by pro football focus in the last, I don't know how many years. So, you know, I'd like to think that he could come in and and, um, and really make a difference. I think that, that was a huge um, missing portion of their offensive line. Um, if they get Ronnie Stanley, all, all pro back, um, that's healthy and can play, I think we're, we're in good shape. Um, you know, but it, it remains to be seen. I mean, you don't know what, what some of these people that you draft when they get on the football field and, and, and how they produce. I just – right. what I get tired of when you listen to these guys talk about draft grades is the first words they spit out of their mouth have something to do with value, and I don't understand how value equivalates itself into wins, you know, because they either produce or they don't. So, so is David Ojabo <laughs> – Okay, a top-ten pick if he doesn't tear his Achilles? Absolutely. And is it a good value if they get him in, you know, the second round at pick 45? Absolutely. But he's not going to play this year, you know. And for, I just had this discussion. I, uh, um, you know, um, analytics plays such a role in sports today, particularly baseball when you talk about all these – Ridiculous statistics of wins above replacement and expected batting average and all these just stupid numbers that people somehow crunch and come up with these equations and whatever to figure out. So, so if you go 0 for 3, but but you hit the ball hard all three times, somehow that has a a statistical value, you know. But the world I live in says you're still 0 for 3. So you can take your statistics. And and you can put those in the dirty laundry because to me you either win or you lose. And if you have, I mean, they don't get to the end of the regular season, 162 games, and said, you know what? We're we're going to look at all these statistics, and whoever has the best wins the World Series because that's not how it works. So, it's, well, it's the same concept.
1: I I, I, concept I, I I've told this football. story many times, and I I repeat, Rogers heard it too. And, uh, you know, when, when Richie Ashburn led the league in hitting 347, and they sent him out his contract, uh, you know, after he would lead, lead the league in hitting, and they sent him out a contract that was left than he was making a year before. <laughs> and so he just sent it right back to him. And, uh, when, and so they called him in and said, what's the matter, Richie? He said, well, that, that's less money they made last year, and I led the league in hitting. And uh, he said, well, you know, yeah, but they were little base hits over a shortstop and." And in the short right. center field, left field. <laughs> and and so Rich, Richie said to the general manager, well, if they were hard hit another 10 feet, they'd be all outs. Right. I, I mean,
6: <laughs> it's the
8: I mean you, yeah. you
5: have well, you have major league
8: baseball teams that, that hire people to crunch numbers. You have NFL teams that hire people to figure out these scenarios. And I just right. don't understand how – they put such an importance on these things. When at the end of the day, it's like I, <laughs> I told my wife we were going through the same conversation. I said, you know, I, I had a ball three hundred and fifty yards down the first hole when it landed in a divot, and I had a really crummy lie, and I made bogey on the on the hole that I played. But my expected score was a four. You know what I mean? So that's how they crunch these numbers and analytics. But at the end of the day, you shoot what you shoot, and I made a bogey. Right. So right. how does that equiv- how does that, how does that factor into something that's positive? You know, the year that Miguel right. Cabrera won the Triple Crown, there were people that didn't vote for him because they said that Mike Trout had a better wins above replacement number. And I lost my mind because I'm like, what is wrong with you people that have these <laughs> stupid numbers that you stand there and you analyze and say it means this because he led the yeah. league in batting average, home runs, and RBIs. They shouldn't have even had a vote that that year because he automatically should have won every award that he could have. And then I get I get sick of listening to these nerds talk about this stuff.
1: Well, we have a fellow on the show all the time, Stephen. He, he's a he's an analytics guy, top to bottom, and Roger and I, uh, we uh, we argue with him every time he's on the program because he really BBK. believes. Yeah. K believes that these analytics are the most important thing. And things that, that uh, you know, I say to them, well, Steve, what about 17 strikeouts in the game? Nobody's even put the ball in play. Well, yeah, but that doesn't really mean anything because, it, uh, you know, you hit a home run, you get three runs. You, you hit three singles, you only get one run. <laughs> so I I don't know. I, I can't agree with it. I, I Every time I look at it and I'm watching it, finally, finally the last couple of days that I've been watching the, uh, the Braves play uh, against the Mets, and the announcers are now starting to talk about the fact that, hey, they're working against the shift, big deal. Uh, they're, they're hitting the ball where the guy isn't. They're not trying to hit home runs. They're hitting the ball where the guy isn't. And like he used to be in, in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And then, oh, late the time I ever watched the game. And uh, right. so they're never going to convince me that uh, unless the, the, the batters are stupid enough to continually hit into the, into the shift every time, uh, I can't feel sorry for him. It's crazy. Oh, so you got to
4: I, I agree with you 100%. The, uh, by the way, the Rangers and the Phillies tied nothing, nothing. Bottom of the eighth. And uh, I think the Rangers have six hits. The Phillies have five.
1: Well, I'll tell you, the Braves got shut out with no hits the other night with five pitchers. <laughs> and they were shut out. Oh, yeah. They had no hits. They had no hits the first five innings of today's game, but they finally won it nine to two. They uh, they opened it up in the in the top of the fifth inning, but uh, I mean you you look at the batting averages and and uh, uh, they don't seem to count anymore. It's like you might as well not even put it up on the screen. I mean you know one eighty seven, two oh five, two ninety, two nineteen. I mean one ninety one. Yeah, right. it's unbelievable. They they're all analytics. Yeah, but they think that's great. Right. That's because they they have
8: this hard hit statistic or something that says you know like the other night this is where this stems from is like two nights ago when the was lost to the twins two to one like the first I don't know two innings I I, I mean I watched the game it was like Mullins, Mountcastle, Mancini and all these guys that were hitting the ball really hard but they were line drives at people's you know outfielders whatever and and that's where this stems from because they're like well you know, there's some there's some statistic that's like this hard hit, you know, whatever. And they're like, they translate that number into like what their expected batting average would be, right, right. based on how hard they hit the ball. And I'm like, all right, we're missing a concept here. The concept is that he got it out, right. So how does that factor into it, right? If you, I mean, you you I mean, I just watched some of the game tonight. Trey Mancini has two base hits tonight and it hasn't gotten out of the infield. So what is that? What do we go back to spaces? Like, you know what I mean? I mean, how does that work?
1: It's, it's ridiculous. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I just think that they're ruining the game. And, uh, you know, I don't know about next year when they change all the rules and make the bags bigger. And so they it steal more, but I will say this, that they are at least in the early part of the season. And I realize this is really the very early part of the season. What the fifth okay. of May, uh, you know, at least they are showing some hit and runs. They are stealing play bases a little bit uh, in, in the games that I've been watching. And uh, to me, they've they've made it a little bit more interesting as far as I'm concerned because they've utilized so many of the tools that they aren't utilizing anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, there's Madden football, which is a video game,
8: you know, and there's RBI, whatever, baseball. I mean, it's like, they, they want to turn sports into like a video game all of a sudden so that it, it's more of a fan experience. So, like, you know, it's fourth and one. And the analytics say, if I go for this, I'm going to get it 63% of the time. At the end of the day, do you have the right play and the right personnel? Where are you in the game? How much time is left? All these things, that's the kind of BS that you factor into it. So when you say, you know what, Don Henderson's in the bullpen, and he's my best right-handed closer. This guy that's coming up next, has never gotten a hit off of Don Henderson. Let's go to the bullpen and put Don Henderson in. I don't need a statistic right. to tell me that. Like an analytics nerd that's going to sit there and say on the third Tuesday of every month at past 8 o'clock, Don's going to get him out. Like if that doesn't – That's it's ridiculous.
4: Uh, are, you aware, are you aware that there are e-sports teams now in high schools and they yes. have coaches, and it's like a varsity sport. Absolutely.
8: It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of, that you're encouraging kids to play video games. And, you know, a nation that has trouble exercising and losing weight is going to continue. Right. Like, you, can, you can hear those kids getting fatter as they play video games.
4: Oh, absolutely. Uh, we haven't talked about golf, guys.
1: Well, you know,
4: yeah. with I mean, the it's, resident PGA uh, professionals
1: right. on. Well, I was well, happy to know. see the Tiger went down and did go through a practice round. I think it was Monday, or I'm not sure now. Whether it was uh, Saturday or Monday, but he did go down and and play a practice round. Was sort of made me, make me believe that uh, he's going to definitely come out and play again on, at, at the next major. Yeah, I would think so. I think he's you know, obviously
8: at that point in his career from a health and, and uh, durability standpoint that his eyes are on the bigger prize of, of winning majors and, and competing in some of the bigger events. I mean, he doesn't need to put another player of the year trophy on a shelf. He doesn't need to, you know, win, win another, you know, whatever, John Deere classic or, you know, any of those sorts of events that are the, the minuscule style. So, I mean, I think he can um, still compete at that level, and I think he's going to gear his practice regimen and health and training and all those sorts of things towards, uh, you know, the bigger events. I mean, it makes sense.
4: Roger. Yeah, the uh, I would like to see that. Uh, as, what, what tournaments coming up this
1: weekend? You, I really haven't, to be honest with you, I really haven't looked at uh, what's I mean, starts I tomorrow. No, I didn't actually look at this week. I've heard, uh you know, so many other things going on between the NBA playoffs of, and the National Hockey Stanley Cup playoffs of baseball. I haven't <laughs> had a chance to look at the golf to see well, who's even playing this week. But uh, Yeah,
8: well, that's uh, – Don, we talked about this before because they re- retooled. So March was the players, April's is the Masters, May is, what, the PGA, June is the right. U.S. Open, and July is the British. So there's your – one biggie a month. So at some point we're playing the PCA Championship here, which is not this weekend.
1: So, another sure. thing that really has surprised me today was the first day, and I know you follow horse racing a little bit too because you're down there at yes. Pimlico. But right. uh, I couldn't believe the lack of coverage of the Kentucky Derby. I mean, you would think the you Kentucky know, Derby was—I mean, it's unbelievable.
8: I would totally agree with that. I mean, I know they came out with their post positions. <laughs> And all those yeah. sorts of things, but I, I I virtually saw nothing on on any of that really, um, which is disappointing. You know, I I get pretty pretty geeked up for uh, for the Kentucky Derby. I mean, it's the best couple minutes in sports that you can imagine. I tell you, you know, I have no you know, I don't have a horse, I'm not a jockey, or I'm not in the stands. But when they when they when they that bell rings and those horses come out of the gate, my, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. I swear, it's a
1: great feeling. <laughs> So, well, I'll, I'll tell you, the, you know, and, and it was always a matter of uh, actually from the time they, they left Florida until the Kentucky Derby, you would have, you know, columns and, and uh, mm-hmm. odds, you know, choices and jockeys and and yeah. uh, post positions and all that type of thing. Yeah. You know, that's all you're like, talking about. But now you don't get well, any the, of that.
8: No, the the TVG channel, which I watch on, on the occasion, I mean, they, they do more with the lead up to the stakes races that, that's, you know, put, put these horses in place to be able to run. I mean, you know, the Kentucky Derby is ridiculous. They have like 20 horses that fling out of that gate. And exactly. you know, last, last I looked, there wasn't an overwhelming favorite. I mean, you were still, you know, in like that kind of five to two, seven to two, nine to two range of some of the horses. I mean, there were a lot of horses that I think at least their starting odds were that in twenties and the thirties. So um, we'll see as we get closer, but, I think there could be a, a big chunk of change one at the Kentucky Derby with a with a high odds
2: horse.
1: Well, anytime you have coming out of those twenty post positions, I mean anything can happen. That's, a, that's yeah. the one thing about the Kentucky Derby. You got to hope like heck that you get lucky and you get a post position sometime inside seven. Because if sure. you're outside seven, you start your margin starts to you know decrease right. pretty quickly, and well, uh, you got a long run to get um, to that to the you got a long run to get to that fence
8: from 20. I mean,
1: yeah. You know, and Bob Baffert being out of it, that uh, Baffert not being there is going to be a little bit you of know. a, he got suspended another two, you know, not another two years, two years for what happens to conduct you will be a couple of, uh, well, you're, last year, you're looking not a couple of years ago. You're looking at a lot of rear ends. If you're at that 20 spot.
8: So, uh, well, I'll take a look in the next couple of days. At some of these, I mean, you got your, your your speed, your pace pace setters, your closers, your stalkers. You got all these different kinds of horses that are gonna, you know, figure well, out. So,
1: uh, Zandon in the ten in the post position, right now is the favorite, perhaps yeah. jockey, and uh, or the trainer, I mean, and he's three to one. He's uh, the post that yeah. this first day I just picked up the post, and they had a big a, a big run on it today. But that's the first time I've seen anything. About Irby since last year. I like I like me some Irad Ortiz. He's, he's my favorite guy. Um, I think he's really good. I don't know. I think
8: he was on the nine horse. I'm not sure.
4: How about Eddie Arcaro?
1: Is he still around? Uh, nah, he, stopped, he stopped riding. <laughs> hey. He stopped riding. Roger. <laughs> he's riding. Mike he's Smith. riding in another district.
8: <laughs> Mike Smith is still riding. I mean, that guy, yeah, Kent DeSormo, Mike Smith, those guys got to be in their 60s. I mean, they're still
1: riding.
8: Johnny Velasquez. All right, Johnny
1: fellas, we're, we're just out of time. Frank That's tells amazing. me we're out of time. Our executive producer, Frank Carroll, another great job. Roger Hendler, of course, in Atlanta. Doug, Doug Hamilton right now, as always, in Baltimore. I'm Don Henderson, and I'm here at Beautiful threat in New Jersey. <laughs> now i have in Brick Township. I'm not threatening.
4: <laughs>
1: I've been Brick. Have a I've great week. Frank, Take
4: frank
1: care, frank fellas. We'll all get job. together next week. Yes, okay. sir. Good okay. night, fellas. Okay. Take
2: care. Have a good night. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men with the United States Armed Forces, men with police and fire services. <clears throat> Please, when you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, Please let them know that you know they're there. It's very important. They're very tough times for men and women in uniform in these uh, tough times. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Patrol, <clears throat> Patrolman Patrol, uh, David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yasmin, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Sergeant Rick Childers, Detective Rick Childers, Detective Brandy Randy Bell. Sergeant Thomas Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department. Uh, Officer Mike Zerba, Lieutenant Mike Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Um, Trooper Todd, Officer Charlie Connett, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Charles Lee, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. The and novel Chris Crispin, Lakeland PD. Deputy, Deputy Chief, uh, I'm sorry, Deputy Josh Myers, Newcastle County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Laterno, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leith, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Art of Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Keep Alvo alone with the police department. Keep Jimmy Ford alone with the fire department. My brothers and sisters, although know you may be 10-7 at this point in time. At some time, we'll be 10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly in your fields. The sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the howl of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week.
9: Shema Lechma Yilama Shema Hezah Yilma Son HaShem Nevor HaTfen brave us in the fire So I wish and-
2: he had to be advised 1999's 1999 to responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul.